Many skeptics look at the injustices of racism and sexism that sadly often happen in the church and write off Christianity. Well, today we'll begin to learn the truth, and it's powerful. Here's Pastor David. In April of 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. was taking part in the Birmingham campaign. And the Birmingham campaign was uh, a number of coordinated marches and sit-ins against racism and against segregation. And the Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference organized this event, this campaign. And a judge in Birmingham had issued an injunction And the injunction said they could not march, they could not picket, they couldn't demonstrate, they couldn't boycott, uh, no trespassing and all the rest of it, and said that better not happen. It's against the law, but Martin Luther King Jr. and the other leaders of the Birmingham Birmingham campaign said, well, we're not going to obey that. This is an attempt to stop us from seeking justice And I'm not going to follow that ruling. Instead, we're going to have some civil disobedience here. Nonviolence, no violence, just just, just demonstrating, bringing light to the injustice that was going on. Well, what happened was the police ended up roughly arresting Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. They placed him in a dark cell with no mattress, didn't give him a phone call. And and an ally of of Dr. King's, while he was in the cell there, smuggled him in a newspaper. And in this newspaper, he read an an article, a statement that had been written by eight religious leaders. Uh, And the statement was called, A Call for Unity. And these leaders were basically saying, listen, why don't we find some other way, some other way to seek redress for the injustice and the oppression that's going on? Why don't we find some, a way that's not quite such a mess? Why don't we find some way that doesn't involve breaking the law? Why don't we find some way to sort of, let's negotiate, let's, let's do this type of thing. And Dr. King, as he sat in a prison cell for his nonviolent civil disobedience against absolute injustice, decided to pen a letter and, and wrote this letter in longhand. First, he started writing it on the newspaper that he had, and when he ran out of space from that, there was a, a trustee, a black trustee in the jail who was a nice guy who got him some, some uh, scraps of paper, and he continued to write this letter longhand. And eventually, his attorneys were able to see him, and they allowed him to leave a pad with him, and he finished this almost 7,000-word letter from a Birmingham jail responding to the objections of these religious leaders who were saying, let's just kind of keep the status quo. And this is some of what Dr. King said. Let me rush on to mention my other disappointment. I have been disappointed with the white church and its leadership. Of course, there are some notable exceptions. I am not unmindful of the fact that each of you has taken some significant stands on this issue. I commend you, Reverend Stallings, for your Christian stand this past Sunday in welcoming Negroes to your Baptist church worship service on a non-segregated basis. I commend the Catholic leaders of this state for integrating Spring Hill College several years ago. But despite these notable exceptions, I must honestly reiterate that I have been disappointed with the church. I do not say that as one of those negative critics who can always find something wrong with the church. 
I say it as a minister of the gospel who loves the church, who was nurtured in its bosom, who has been sustained by its spiritual blessings, and who will remain true to it as long as the cord of life shall lengthen. I had the strange feeling when I was suddenly catapulted into the leadership of the bus protest in Montgomery several years ago that we would have the support of the white church. I felt that the white ministers, priests, and rabbis of the South would be some of our strongest allies. Instead, some have been outright opponents. All too many others have been more cautious than courageous and have remained silent behind the anesthetizing security of stained glass windows. I have heard numerous religious leaders of the South call upon their worshipers to comply with a desegregation decision because it's the law. But I have longed to hear white ministers say, follow this decree because integration is morally right and the Negro is your brother. In the midst of a mighty struggle to rid our nation of racial and economic injustice, I have heard so many ministers say, those are social issues which the gospel has nothing to do with. There was a time when the church was very powerful It was during that period that the early Christians rejoiced when they were deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was the thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Wherever the early Christians entered a town, the power structure got disturbed and immediately sought to convict them for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But they went on with the conviction that they were a colony of heaven and had to obey God rather than man. They were small in number, but big in commitment. They were too God-intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. They brought an end to such ancient evils as infanticide and gladiatorial contest. Things are different now. The contemporary church is so often a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. It is so often the arch supporter of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's often vocal sanction of things as they are. But the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If the church of today does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authentic ring, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. I meet young people every day whose disappointment with the church has risen to outright disgust. I hope the church as a whole will meet the challenge of this decisive hour. We will win our freedom because the sacred heritage of our nation and the eternal will of God are embodied in our echoing demands. Now, there are two cultures of Christianity that are highlighted in what Dr. King has said here in in his letter. The first culture is the culture of Christ. Strong since the resurrection with power, with its foundations in God, in the teachings of Christ, in radical grace, and the work of Jesus in Scripture. There's that kind of culture. And the second culture is the culture of the church of Laodicea, which if you were here earlier, you would know that some believe that that's the age that we're in. And this is what is written to the church of Laodicea. Revelation 3, 14 through 17. And to the church, uh, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. 
I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say, I am rich. I have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. There was the culture of the Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference representing that culture of Christ and then standing against these unjust laws meant to divide, meant to create a ladder on which we put people in society, sometimes by nothing more than the color of their skin, fighting against that as against the very nature of God. And then there's the other folks, those who saw the evil of the ladder. They recognized that, that that's what society was trying to do, that that was wrong, but they lacked the fortitude to tear it down for fear of something. It is the second culture that has given the skeptic arguments against the Christian worldview. Whether it's racism or sexism or nationalism, those looking from the outside at the church with a skeptical eye have seen plenty to complain about. So the question to answer for the skeptic and the check on the heart of the believer is this. Are Christ followers intolerant, racists, and sexists? Some would say yes. In 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke at Western Michigan University in a question and answer session after a speech that he had given, he said this, we must face the fact that in America, the church is still the most segregated major institution in America. At 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, when we stand and sing, we stand at the most segregated hour in this nation. This is tragic. And I wish that I could say that a lot had changed, but in 2015, Bob Smiatana wrote this. Sunday morning remains one of the most segregated hours in American life, with more than eight in ten congregations made up of one predominant racial group. And most worshipers like it that way. Two-thirds of American churchgoers, 67%, say their church has done enough to become racially diverse. And less than half think their church should become more diverse. As Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, this is tragic. And why is it tragic? Why? Right? After all, for all of history and all over the world, people from every culture, every worldview, and whatever have been racists. Right? That's been very common. Why is it tragic then that the Christian church hasn't stood up like it should against racism when so many other people are also racist? Why is it tragic that the male leaders of Christian churches have been exposed, has been revealed, that they've been oppressing Women, whether it's their wives or other leaders in the church, sexually aggressive towards women in their churches. Why is that a tragedy? When we know that all over culture and for all of time, it's happened with lots of people. Why is it so tragic that it's happening, that there are racists and that there are sexists within the church? It's tragic because it is a violence against the scriptures. It's tragic because it is hostile to the teachings of the Bible and Jesus Christ. Absolutely hostile. Listen to Galatians 3, 27 through 28. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. 
for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The culture that allows for racism and sexism is a culture that strikes against the heart of the Christian worldview. That's why it's tragic when we see it in the church. For the skeptic that sees Christianity as intolerant, as backwards, as against racial reconciliation, as against women, I just want to say honestly, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you got that impression. I'm sorry that it is no, I have no doubt in my mind that we ourselves as a church, not necessarily any individual person, but as a church, as a whole, we have failed to continuously speak plainly, loudly, forcibly, forcibly and unmistakably on these issues. We've simply failed to do that to the, to the degree that we should have. And that has provided ammunition for the skeptic to look at our hypocrisy and say, maybe the whole thing just isn't true. But let me make something clear. Our failure as the church, as people who are claiming to be Christ followers and so on, our failure is not the failure of the Bible. It's not the failure of the Christian worldview. It's not the failure of Christ. It's our failure. It's a failure of ignorance and passivity and fear that too many of us have accepted the status quo the way that things are. And it's been easier to keep that going than to stand up and fight for the things that need to be fought for. And for those of you who have looked at Christianity from the outside and said, there's things I like here, but that, that I don't like, I'm sorry that you've seen that. But let me be clear, that has nothing to do with Christianity. That's the kind of mistakes that humans make. Not the kind of thing that Christ has called for. Too few of us have passionately stood and worked for the kind of radical equality and servanthood that we have been called to as Christ followers. And that's the bottom line. Now, having admitted that, the question remains, is this intolerance, this racism, this sexism, is it inherent in Christian belief? The answer is a resounding no. No, it is not. The truth is that the Bible and the teachings of Jesus are truly the only, listen carefully, the only real voice for radical equality that the world has ever heard. Let that sink in for a minute. I'm going to prove it in a second. The, the truth is that the Bible and the teachings of Jesus are the only radical voice for equality that has ever been heard in this world. Now, Christopher Hitchens was an atheist. He, he passed away. Um, but he was one of the kind of the new atheists, right? These guys who have written books, lately popular books that make fun of Christianity and so on. One of the things he said is this. Violent, irrational, intolerant, allied to racism, tribalism, and bigotry. He's describing religion. Invested in ignorance and hostile to free inquiry. Contemptuous of women and coercive toward children. And it ought to have a great deal on its conscience. That's what Christopher Hitchens says about religion. This is a scathing indictment of religion. And it may even be true about some religions. I don't defend those ones. But as to the Christ follower, what he's saying there is simply nonsensical. It's simply nonsensical. Because here's the thing. The first question we always have to ask when these kinds of denunciations are made against Christian believers is from where do you get the rules? Where do you get the rules from which you're using to judge Christianity? You're saying these things are bad, right? You, you're saying that the rules are against that. Hitchens, others, they've painted Christianity as essentially evil. Why religion poisons everything. It's the subtitle of his book. 
You know, Christians are evil, they're morally corrupt, the world would be better off if everyone just jettisoned their Christian beliefs. That's the mantra of the new atheist, but there's a, there's a problem. There's no reason to believe that those claims, that if we got rid of Christianity, things would be better, are actually true. In fact, the opposite is true. And how do I know? I don't have to go to Christians or a Bible college or a pastor to find that out. I can go to other atheists. There's a French atheist named Luke Ferry. This is what he says. The Greek world was fundamentally an aristocratic world, a universe organized by hierarchy, in which those most endowed by nature should in principle be at the top, which the less endowed saw themselves occupying inferior ranks. In direct contradiction, this is an atheist speaking, in direct contradiction, Christianity was to introduce the notion that humanity was fundamentally identical, that men were equal in dignity, an unprecedented idea at the time, and one to which our world owes its entire democratic inheritance. The idea of equality may seem self-evident, but it was literally unheard of at the time, and it turned an entire world order upside down. Another atheist, Chris Berg, says this, virtually all, virtually all the secular ideas that non-believers value have Christian origins. It was the theologians and religiously minded philosophers who developed the concepts of individual and human rights. Same with progress, reason, and equality before the law. It is a fantasy to suggest that these values emerged out of thin air once people started questioning God. Yet, many modern human rights activists seem to believe that human rights sprang forth, full-bodied, and with a virgin birth in United Nations treaties in the mid-20th century. Nothing could be further from the truth. The idea of human rights was founded centuries ago on Christian assumptions advanced by biblical argument and advocated by theologians. Modern supporters of human rights have merely picked up a set of well-refined ethical and moral arguments. Where do you get the rules that you're using to judge Christianity? Well, from Christianity, which is a problem. It means that contrary to the position of some popular atheists that those that look to the mistakes of some Christians that we've talked about, right? Instead of looking at the teachings of Christ and then they make all these, say all these things about how bad Christianity is. The fact is that Christianity is the reason, the main reason, the only reason that we believe there should be equality in the first place. That's it. It's from Christianity. The idea that equality is good, that slavery is bad, that women are of equal value to men. These are found in the Christian faith. They are not atheist ideas. They're not. They're not secular at all. They originate and continue to find their power in the teachings of the one who said that he was God and rose from the dead. That's where they come from. That's where they continue to find their power, period. Without that foundation, these ideas would never have come to be popular. These ideas would never have been found by us. In the 300s AD, a very long time ago, Gregory of Nyssa, one of the major Christian leaders of the, of the time, wrote this about slavery. You condemn a person to slavery whose nature is free and independent, and in doing so you lay down a law in opposition to God, overturning the natural law established by him. For you subject to the yoke of slavery one who was created precisely to be a master of the earth and who was ordained to rule by the creator as if you were deliberately attacking and fighting against the divine command. Now, this seems obvious today, right? Slavery is bad. 
No, no, no problem, no brainer. Here's the problem. At that time, nobody was saying that. Nobody. The world, this is the first that we basically have of somebody who was saying the institution of slavery is evil and it's wrong. It's literally a violation. It's hostile to who God is. It's hostile to the way that God made things. This is the first that it comes from. Where does it come from? An enlightened atheist? No. It comes from Christianity because it's the only place it could come from. No one was saying this. Slavery was entrenched. It was entrenched in every culture. It was Christian thought that formed this belief. It is the Bible that informed this belief. It was Christians like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., like Frederick Douglass and Rosa Parks and William Wilberforce and Sojourner Truth and John Wesley. It's these kind of people who wrote and spoke and fought against injustice and racism. They're the ones who fought against inequalities, against people who wanted to create a ladder and put some people on top of it and some people on the bottom of it. They said, this is not of God. This is not the way God created the world. You were created in the, in the image and the likeness of God, and that means something. And without that, you never would have had it. No one had it. Christian thought is still setting people free from that latter system of discrimination that has always been the default for people. It's still doing that to this day. In Nepal, where the caste system still holds sway, which, which is, as many of you may know, the caste system says, if you're born into this caste, you're up here. If you're born in this caste, and so on and so forth. And if you're the very lowest, you're a dollet, an untouchable. You clean the toilets. You don't, you don't eat next to me. You don't, you don't go get the same water source that I've got. You have to live outside the town. The dollets, the untouchables, are the very lowest in the caste system. It didn't work out very well for them. They're on the bottom rung of the ladder. And many people in Nepal are turning to Christ. Dalits are turning to Christ in record numbers. This is what uh, the Nepal record said in an article. Some Dalit converts see Christianity as a way to escape the caste system. According to the Federation of National Christian, Nepal, as many as 65% of Christians are Dalits. As one Dalit Christian pastor in a village near Manahari said, the higher caste in the village used to treat dogs better than us. And generally, they still do. But among Christians, there is no discrimination. We are all equal. There's freedom in Christ. Christian belief sets people free. It is Jesus Christ who raised up women as valuable and special and equal in dignity and value to men. That was unheard of. As the atheist that, you, that, that I read told you, unheard of, did not happen, turned the world upside down or right side up as we see it now. I hope you'll listen to the next episode for much more enlightening and challenging truth. And if today's lesson has made you think in maybe a different way about all this, and you have more questions about Christianity and faith in Christ, Call us at 360-885-9000. Or come see us this Sunday morning. Get all the info you need at axechurchnw.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you'll be back next time for more great Bible teaching with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.